your blood runs orange and blue. Orange and blue. blue. This, this is the pod, is the for, you. pod for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. Is there still brotherly love in Philly? We're about to find out very soon, I think. What's up? It's EJ Stewart, Tommy Beer coming at you with another edition of Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast and Odyssey WF in the original. We got plenty to talk about on the show. We will go in depth with the saga going on in Philadelphia where Joel Embiid had to clear the air with uh, President Daryl Morey about his intentions, whether or not he wants to stay in Philadelphia, apparently recommitted to the Sixers. Daryl Morey went on local radio saying that Joel Embiid had did that and that their plan is to move forward with Joel on the team. While there still remain murmurs that the Knicks are lining up their assets and are ready to make a move if indeed Joel Embiid eventually comes up on the trade block. So we have some new reporting on all that coming out uh, these last few days. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about some early over and under win totals. we got plenty of them coming out from Vegas and the Knicks win total. Interesting in my eyes and whether they have the number at right now. Um, we'll give uh, you guys our thoughts and I ask Tommy whether or not this number is too high or too low. And finally, we'll do another week in Knicks history, the end of Linsanity in New York. Jeremy Lin, uh, this week, uh, about 11 years ago, left the Knicks to go to the Houston Rockets in a also very dramatic saga that went down 11 years ago. So we'll talk about all that and more right after this. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So Tommy Beer joins me as always. Tommy, how you feeling? Uh, what's going on? And how you doing this uh, beautiful Thursday we record? Yeah, I got a little sunshine out here in New York. So uh, enjoying that. Um, and a uh, little, little Knicks to talk about. The, the rest of the drama, it seems like the least kind of on hold. Um, until we get some yeah. clarification on the uh, particularly Harden and um, and Dame Lillard situations, but uh, kind of tied up in that that Harden business is the future of Joel Embiid, which is somebody we've talked about uh, in the uh, in the past few days, few weeks, few months, and somebody we'll probably talk continue to talk about. Although it sounds like um, Daryl Morey at least is convinced that uh, Joel Embiid is happy in Philly. So why don't you give us a little bit of a, an update on that? Yes, we will. So let's get right to us again. This is Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, an Odyssey WFN an original podcast you can get wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit that auto download feature on your streaming service so you get these episodes every time we drop. And of course, make sure you check us out on YouTube as well, where you can catch our full episodes on the WFAN channel. So, uh, Sixers star and league MVP Joel Embiid 
has reassured team president Daryl Morey that he is committed to the team after comments made during an interview raised questions about whether or not he would soon request a trade from Philadelphia. So he was speaking with Maverick Carter at the Uninterrupted Sports Film Festival. And this is what Joel had to say. I just want to win a championship, um, you know, whatever it takes. I don't know what that's going to be, whether it's in Philly or, you know, anywhere else. You know, I just want to have a chance uh, to accomplish that. I want to see what it feels like to win that first one and then think about, you know, the next one, um, you know, it's not easy, um, but, you know, it takes more than, you know, one, you know, two, three guys. You know, got to have, uh, you know, good people around you. And, you know, I, myself, you know, every single day I work hard to, you know, be at that level uh, so I can produce and make it happen. So so it was the part where he said, I want to win a championship, well, whether that be in Philadelphia or anywhere else that raised a lot of eyeballs. Also, I, I want to make sure I play the full quote in his context. You hear him talking about, you know, it takes more than one person, takes multiple people. Kind of echoing comments he made after they lost to Boston also, which also raised uh, a lot of eyebrows uh, in that game seven loss they had to the Sixers, to the Celtics. So um, that was a full context of Joel's comments. Now, he has since uh, walked back those comments. He's gone on Twitter saying he essentially was trolling. And now, according to Ian Bagley, uh, According to people that have talked to him, he says that he has met with Maury and head coach Nick Nurse to state his commitment to the team and his goal to play for one franchise for his entire career. Uh, Maury then also, you know, reaffirmed that though that conversation did happen um, sometime over the last few days. So, meanwhile, uh, the Knicks, who sit back with a treasure trove that includes four tradable unprotected picks, three first-round protected picks, three pick swaps available. Um, they wait for essentially the right star and the right fit to put next to Jalen Brunson. According to Knicks writer uh, Fred Katz of The Athletic, Knicks are taking this approach uh, about any prominent player that they consider acquiring. Quote, does he fit with Brunson? If the answer is no, then he's not worth the massive return it takes to acquire him. Apparently, the Zach Levine conversations didn't go very far because the price was too high from Chicago. Apparently, the Knicks have uh, have expressed no interest in Carl Anthony Towns. Both of those uh, nuggets coming from Katz. Uh, Katz notes that Embiid is seen by the Knicks as a perfect fit, given his ability to play pick and roll, defend the rim, dominating the post while still being a 29-year-old player in the prime of his career. So, Tommy, on the Philly side, are you convinced Philly can do enough to keep Joel and be happy, given where they're at right now? As of right now, it seems like he's 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 committed to them, but this Harden situation looks tenuous to say the least. Yeah. And, and in any situation, any relationship between a star player and the franchise, um, as we've learned, especially in this age of empowerment, however you want to, you know, kind of characterize it, you know, a lot of LeBron is, you know, commonly, uh, you know, credited, um, depending on if you want to give him credit or blame on the, <laughs> right. on the, on this new day and age in the NBA in which superstars are no longer committed, you know, um, in years of past, uh, you know, Malone, his whole career with the Jazz, Patrick, essentially his whole career um, uh, with uh, with the Knicks, of course. And, you know, the other superstars that era, Reggie Miller in Indiana, et cetera. Um, there obviously wasn't as much movement among the top 5, 10, 20, you know, all NBA type players. Um, whereas nowadays, um, it's shocking if a player does, you know, last more than, you know, beyond two contracts with, with one yeah. team. 
um, when he's when he's an elite player. Um, and that's because, you know, teams are no longer, you know, players no longer feel beholden to franchises. They've understood the, the dynamics, the economics of the sport, that they're expendable. Um, you know, obviously there, the Isaiah Thomas case in Boston and, you know, his career was never the same after, um, leaving it all out there, uh, literally on the floor for the Celtics and, you know, his contract, um, you know, and then get getting traded to Cleveland, et cetera, has never been the same player since. So, um, because of that, do I think things have calmed down? Yes. I don't think they were at, at a boiling point, you know, despite, um, you know, Embiid's kind of offhanded comments. Um, yeah. but you know, as we talked about it, it, sometimes that kind of sparks something that a player's unhappy and now he has the opportunity to speak out. So maybe that could lead to more comments. You know, I don't think anyone was expecting him to come out, um, you know, this week and say, I'm never playing for the Sixers again, but right. you know, again, it's, it's something to keep an eye on. It's, it looks like they've kind of calmed the waters there a little bit, but again, so much is dependent upon James Harden. Um, because there's basically two ways this plays out. Um, you know, th if they don't it, right now, it sounds like, you know, Harden has his eyes set on the Clippers. The Clippers actually, it sounds like don't are not are unwilling to trade Trey Mann and future draft capital for Harden, which tells you mm -hmm. a lot about Harden at, at this stage. Yeah, where he's at at this point in his career. Exactly. Where, how valuable other teams consider him. There's obviously, if another team thought, oh my God, James Harden, the MVP James Harden was available, there'll be teams lining up. Um, that, that's no longer the case. Um, but, you know, he's obviously a, a, a an important player on the uh, on the Sixers. You know, second team, second leading scorer, led the team in assists. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Should he remain with the Sixers? Um, you know, Maury's basically it's important to note here that Maury's pitched and I'm sure this is what he reiterated in conversations this week is listen I don't want to say we're going to get through this year but let's let's look ahead let's we're obviously going to compete for a championship we're going to put ourselves in the best position to compete for a championship if we play well in the fourth quarter of game six maybe we're in the NBA finals you know uh you know uh, last month so there's a lot there even when we're not at our peak you know efficiency that being said Maury's having is is reminding him be to look ahead. This it, it, twelve months from now, in the summer of twenty twenty four, the Sixers are in a great position to have maximum cap space available. Tobias Harris contracts comes off the books, as does uh, James Harden's. Obviously, assuming you know he's opted in, he has one year left. They keep him and they let that contract expire, and they don't have to re-sign Tyrese Maxey until after they bring in free agent. So they could theoretically get a max player, maybe two max players depending on how they kind of cook the books yeah. and they could, they could trade out some, some expendable contracts, sign and trade things along those lines, and then surround uh, Embiid and Maxi as your two cornerstones with another third superstar. So that's kind of Maury's pitch. I'm sure that's, you know, what, he, that's what he sold Embiid on. Uh, Embiid is aware of this. He understands this. Is he willing to wait another year? Is he willing to wait another year and a month? You know, in other words, let's see what Maury does in free agency. Can he bring in the superstar? He's kind of been promising me or hinting at that, the, that he's going to surround me with. Um, we'll see how all that plays out. So, um, you know, I, I think it's it's likely that he at least gives the Sixers a full year. Um, and, uh, you know, but again, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll reassess. We'll take his temperature in December when the Knicks play the Sixers at the Garden. Does he have any confidence? Yeah, when the when the when the Sixers lose four in a row and and James Harden doesn't show up to practice one day and Nick Nurse is riding his starters too hard and there's there's friction um, does Embiid you know make a make some noise we'll see but um, the most likely scenario is you know it's kind of status quo for the next year or so and then we'll we'll reassess but um, as you know stranger things have happened yeah I think this could be 
we could be walking into what may be Joel Embiid's most challenging year as a Sixer, yeah. which I think is going to make this season very interesting because we know what a situation is like when James Harden is unhappy and still on the team. I mean, it becomes mm-hmm. an absolute untenable environment. We saw that in Houston. We saw that in Brooklyn. So if the Sixers are going to, you know, basically say, hey, we're going to just keep Harden until we get exactly what we want. And it to me, it's very clear that James Harden is just to, to a lot of NBA teams not worth a superstar kind of package or a superstar kind of contract. That's why James Harden opted in. He could have very well opted out of his contract and, you know, try to find a, a team that would have signed to a max deal or a team that would have been able to try to swing a sign and trade. And basically there was no money out there for him, at least not the money that he thinks he would deserve. So he had no choice, but if he wanted that 40 million this year to take that money and then hope that somehow a deal could be swung, but right now things aren't going in his favor. So you got the Harden situation where you don't know what's going to happen. Even if he does get traded, now you're talking about bringing in one, two, three, maybe four new players into your team. Now you're trying to build chemistry. You have a brand new coach who's trying to implement his own system. And then you have this hanging thing about, you know, Joel Embiid and the top clock taking on him winning a championship. Like a lot of people have been behind Joel Embiid in terms of that him versus Jokic thing, saying that, hey, Embiid is just as good, if not better. He plays defense and you can't keep crowning a guy like, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, Jokic when he hasn't won anything. Well, Jokic has won something. Now people are looking at Embiid and say, well, hey, we were the guy that we were you know, championing you as maybe the best center. How come you haven't won anything, you know? So, like, it's it's going to be, a, I think, a challenging season. I think the Sixers could be in a bad spot, which then will force Embiid to eventually have to make a decision. Is he going to decide, hey, you know what, this thing is working out by the end of next season, and then he decides to make a trade? Do they do they switch? You know, who knows what happens at that point. But I think that this, this is going to be potentially a tough go of it for the Sixers, and that's a great spot to be in for the Knicks, not just because you may want Joel Embiid in the future, but, I mean, this is a team that was ahead of you in the standings in your conference. So the Knicks have an opportunity to potentially move up if the Sixers do have a down year and things don't work out the way they hope. Maybe the Knicks or the team look at that themselves saying, hey, now we're the fourth seed. Maybe we're the third seed. We'll talk about the winning win totals in a minute. But uh, this situation to feel, I think, is very close to follow on multiple fronts. Yeah, it's a good point. And, you know, a lot of it obviously gets talked regarding Harden, his exit from Houston, coming to camp out of shape you know, going to strip clubs and parties and, and when, when all that kind of drama went down before the trade to Brooklyn. Um, but you're right. A lot of, you know, people kind of forget that he forced his way out of Brooklyn too um, under, you yeah. know, really not they, pretty circumstances. I mean, yeah, they I mean, had lost like 10 games in a row or something crazy during that stretch. They were playing awful basketball. And he was like just mailing it basically for a month. I just look. I just called up his basketball reference game log from that season. So this is February second, twenty twenty two. What would ultimately be his final game as a Nick, uh, as a Net. Sorry, yeah. Played thirty seven minutes, scored four points on two of eleven shooting. Um, uh, he didn't play the next night. I, I forget what it was. He's you know whether he said it was a hamstring or an hamstring. <laughs> hamstring was tight or something. Like it was something something like that. Yeah. Lo, lo and behold, he gets straight to the Sixers. His first game at Philly, twenty seven, twelve, and eight. Yeah. Um, so well, he found the found the youth, I guess, somewhere uh, on on ninety five on on his way out to Philly. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, so that kind of again, and you're right. I I, I forgot that part of the story too. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven straight losses. Yeah. That was in the middle of yeah. an eleven game losing. It's crazy. So so yeah, that was with Kyrie Irving playing half the games, and and yep. then they actually had a they had a they had a 
they, I believe they had like a road trip at that point. So Kyrie actually played a lot of those games. They lost yep. in a row. Both of those guys playing together, they had no chemistry. Harden seemed like he wanted nothing to do with Kyrie. And they were an absolute mess. So Philadelphia, that's what you have in waiting in store for you if you decide to bring an unhappy James Harden back. Yeah, that's a, almost a best case scenario that he decides to show up for camp, that he decides, right. to, yeah. you know, like it, it could be worse. Yeah, because in Houston, he, he basically was, you know, he's going to party with little baby during training camp while practices were happening in Houston. I mean, Zara Morey's playing with a lot of fire right now. And then and, you got Nick, and, Nick Nurse isn't the kind of coach that can, you know, laugh off stuff like that. You know, he's going right. to try to come in and, be, you know, set an example. And, you know, so one of those, they're going to butt heads and it, it could get ugly if it, it there's there's a scenario there that, that things get really ugly. Again, that doesn't mean Embiid's definitely going to leave, but things could definitely go south with, with Harden. Yeah, and if, it, if that goes south with Harden, that almost will certainly affect, like I said, the win-loss record for Philly. And even if Joel Embiid decides he is going to stick it out for the whole year or whatever, again, that's good for the Knicks because that's a, 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 a team that is in your division, a team that you're going to be competing with for playoff positioning, and you could be in a great spot moving forward to uh, to make a run here if Philly struggles. What do you think about the Knicks' approach uh, and the stuff said by you know Frank, Frank, Frank Katz essentially saying that the Knicks – are waiting for the right star. They're not going to trade for some of these other stars that they deem good, but players that don't fit. Like they, they had no interest in Carlton Towns, which, you know, shouldn't be that surprising, but given his relationship with Leon Rose, I think to some people it would be. And that the Zach Levine thing, they really didn't have much interest in either because the, the Bulls asking price was too high. The Knicks um, deeming uh, and be that perfect fit. What, what do you think of that? Yeah, real quick, and I'll answer that in a second. Do you have the over unders? What's Philly's over under? Have they? Have they so that's a good, interesting question. So there are a couple of books that actually haven't even listed them yet because oh, they want to see okay. what happens with Harden. Just because there's so um, much uncertainty there. Yeah, I saw there are a few that have them at forty. The oh, few that do have them have them at forty nine and a half. Ooh, that's a high number for for that. Yeah, that. and the only two books that I saw that even have them listed. Right. So that right. told me. That perhaps maybe they were the outlier that suggested maybe they shouldn't have had them that high, given all the right. uh, issues they're dealing with. Um, interesting, and we'll talk about the Knicks over under in a minute here. Um, yep. As far as to directly answer your question about the Knicks approach, um, I just it, it's such a it's such a pleasant relief, such a such an encouraging sign. Um, I wrote about it at length uh, at the start of this offseason um, after the Knicks got eliminated, essentially. Two articles specifically entitled "No, the Knicks should, should not trade for Carl Anthony," yeah. and "No, the Knicks should not trade for Zach Levine." Um, uh, this kind of circles back to the uh, and it's and we talked about it in the previous pod uh, earlier this week about Jalen Brunson, the one-year anniversary, and how that that changes the entire kind of landscape. The 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 just the entire feel of the organization and the franchise. Um, and not just because, as you know, um, one of the uh, the reports in the athletic article and Katz's athletic article was they want somebody that'll fit well with Brunson. But th- just the fact that they have Brunson, you know, whether right. you want to call him a superstar, or a, an elite superstar, or a star, or, well, he's a very, very, very good player who's played even better in the in the in the uh, in the postseason. I was looking at numbers. I'm going to write about it uh, for, for my post tomorrow. Just kind of talk about one year. You know, basically cut, contrasting the state of the franchise this morning as, the, as, as opposed to 12 months ago, the day that they uh, um, Wednesday was the introductory press conference for, for Brunson. And 
uh, obviously the, the upgraded point guard position, but just kind of the feel of the organization. In, in years past, the Knicks would have had felt a ton of pressure to trade for Carl Anthony Towns. Yes, he's a bit, you know, he's not a great defender. Um, his contract's bad, but he's a star. He's an old star. Right. Yeah. Uh, he's a really good player. He can score a lot of points. Uh, maybe he'll be very good. You know, like, you know, Zach Levine's like a, a won a slam dunk contest. He, you know, he'll sell a lot of jerseys. Um, you know, the, the, he'll get people to tune in on MSG. So maybe they, they roll the <laughs> dice for him. Um, nowadays, that's that's no longer the deciding factor. It's does does that player fit in alongside the other star player that we have on the roster who's locked into a great contract? Um, so I just think it's very encouraging from a franchise standpoint that the Knicks front office feels comfortable enough. They don't have pressure from management. They don't have pressure from the fan base to do something short-sighted. They really have stuck to their goals. They've accumulated all this assets and they're only going to push their chips into the middle of the table for that perfect piece. And I, I think it's great news. Yeah. In many ways, you know, it's like, you know, the trade for Zach Randolph or the trade for yep. Francis or the trade yep. for um, Anthony McDice, Tracy yep. McGree. Like, like these kind of guys that normally the Knicks would go for. They would say, hey, you know, we need to make a, a big splash. We need to make a move here. So even though there's a lot of reasons why we probably shouldn't do this, like here, we're going to take the swing. And, you know, all of those were huge misses. Here you have the Knicks looking at the situation saying we don't have to make a move that doesn't put us um, as close to a championship as possible, which is what you want to see. You know, a lot of times it was like, all right, let's just get ourselves to respectability or let's get ourselves yeah. a shot to make the playoffs or whatever. Like they're beyond that. So I, I like the Knicks approach. You know, I, I would not have traded for Zach Levine. I would not have traded for Carl Anthony Towns. And that's okay. Like the Knicks have a good team. Like you, that's the thing. I think the other thing too was those teams in the past, they they didn't have the luxury of actually having a watchable product to put on the floor. So yep. there was even more pressure to say, okay, we have to do something, even if we know there are major downsides, especially making some of these moves. We have to do something. Otherwise, you know, we, we could see ourselves in a position where we're, you know, just completely irrelevant. And and they actually made themselves even more irrelevant in some of these terrible moves they made because the team was worse. But, like, they're in a position now because they have a pretty good team, a team that looks like a perennial playoff team, they don't have to panic. And I think it's, it's been refreshing to see that they haven't acted this way. It's also refreshing to me, and, like, it, it's interesting how – the people were so wrong about like what Leon Rose's approach to running the Knicks was going to be like everybody that like talked about Leon's hiring said, Oh, he's going to be here because he's going to try to make big trades immediately and turn his team around super fast. And he couldn't be further from the truth. So like any report about Leon Rose being, you know, hot and heavy for any player or, or a certain approach that's, that, that regards to Knicks being super aggressive or certain things. Like I take them all at a grain of salt now because they all were wrong about how Leon Rose is going to build his team. He has shown that he was going to build his team the right way. He wasn't coming in for a quick buck or a quick fix. In many ways, this is probably James Dolan's best hiring since being a Nick owner. I mean, I mean, I'm trying to think about it. I mean, like all the bad coaches, so many of the bad presidents. This is a president who has put the Knicks in a position to be a perennial winner um, with tons of assets to continue to improve, a true upside, a true young core to build around. And uh, respect around the NBA. I mean, Dolan has made a lot of bad hires and a lot of moves that we look back on that props the franchise back years. This one, we say, it's got to probably be his best one yet. Yeah, obviously, you know, the, the, there's 
we'll see how it plays out. You know, do they take, do they take a step forward this year or kind of remain on that same impressive plateau? Do they yeah. take a step back after they made the playoffs? So, so we'll see. Um, and there have been some missteps from, yeah, uh, from sure. Rose along the way. Um, he's been by no means perfect. Uh, you know, the Fournier signing doesn't look great now. Um, Alex Burks. Top, and, top and pick. Yeah. And top and pick and Derek Rose's contract. And, you know, basically having to trade those, those, those guys, um, you know, Nerlens Noel, et cetera. Um, just to clear cap space. That being said, the the and you use the word refreshing, which is is really important. And 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 it's a change in in philosophy. Um, and maybe Rose did come in with you know telling uh, um, Dolan, listen, I'm going to get you a superstar. I'm going to get right. you stuff. But one didn't materialize, so he pivoted right. correctly. And just by not doing anything stupid makes him an, a really good executive in contrast right. to, the, to the other Knicks executives. And the key being he nailed the most important signing of his tenure, which was Jalen Brunson, whether you want to credit that for the relationship with his father or the, whatever the case is, um, they nailed it. Every team in the NBA would love to have Jalen Brunson on the on their team for that contract. The Knicks have him. Um, and so that in, in combination with, controlling your assets, keeping, you know, your, your young players and, and et cetera. We'll see, again, the, the, the top in situation play out. We'll see if they consolidate for that, that, you know, turn that into a star. Um, but so far, so good. Definitely for Leon Rose. Yeah. Leon Rose got to feel good where he's at. And I think he's got to feel good with uh, some of the chaos happening in Philly because his former client is making waves and ways that the Philly fans and Philadelphia uh, media and the six organization can't be happy about. And I know, uh, Leon Rose being a South Jersey guy himself, I know he's probably has good intel on on everything going on down there in Philly. So that's going to be a situation to continue to follow. So we're still months away from the start of the regular season, but the over under win totals have been settled in most uh, for most book for most sports books and most of them, especially for the Knicks uh, as of today. So um, here's where they stand right now. So uh, from what I saw on lines.com, Caesar Sportsbook currently has Knicks highest number. They are currently at 45 and a half wins this season for the Knicks. Then you have FanDuel at the lowest number at 43 and a half. Um, they have two other sports books there uh, that have uh, Knicks at 44 and a half. So you're sitting somewhere between 45 and a half and 43 and a half where you can get the Knicks in terms of win totals for next year. Now, the Knicks, of course, surprised most of the league last year by winning 47 games. They made a surprise trip to the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. So Knicks. Had a really good season last year. They won 47 games. Here, Vegas not giving them that many wins, but in the neighborhood. So I ask you, uh, Tommy, one, uh, your thoughts on the Vegas projection and on the highest number, which is 45 and a half. Would you go over or under where we're sitting today? Yeah, I think that's the right number. I, I think that's kind of the, the number I would assume, you know, uh, if I had to guess without, um, without knowledge of, of what Vegas had installed the number at. Um, a couple things to remember. The Knicks have won more than 42 games only twice this millennium. Um, so you know, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's the reality oh, of the situation. Yeah. That being said, the Knicks haven't had Jalen Brunson, um, uh, you know, prior to this past season, of course, they haven't had the combination of Brunson, Randall, uh, RJ Barrett, uh, IQ, Grimes, Mitch Robinson, Isaiah Hardenstein, uh, you know, solid depth basically across the board, other than the power forward position. Um, so, yeah, I would lean towards the over. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd rather bet the over at 43. Um, I think the Knicks will probably land in that 44, 45, 47. Um, you know, kind of the upside is 49. 
The downside being an injury to Randall, um, leaving the team really short at, at power forward. Uh, yeah. How would they handle that if Randall misses an extended period of time? Um, would definitely be challenging. At that point, do they make a trade? Um, do they rely on Hart as the team starting power forward for, for a month if they needed to? Um, you know, do they go, uh, you know, Sims playing alongside uh, either Mitch Rob or iHeart at, at times. So those are questions I'd have to ask. Um, and, you know, as with any team, you know, Brunson gets hurt. Um, that, that, that's an issue, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'd probably lean in the mid-40, so I'd, I, I'd probably take the over as of right now. Yeah, I mean, I think the number is fine. Um, I think for, from what I saw, it left the Knicks, you know, fourth in most books. The Sixers aren't listed in a lot of books as I mentioned earlier. So um, of the teams, essentially only Cleveland, Milwaukee, Boston had higher win totals. So 44, 43, wherever you're at, 45, like that's a pretty good number. The, the Kings are around that same number. Um, several other, you know, pretty good teams around the number. So I, I was cool with the number. I feel pretty bullish about the Knicks as of today in terms of uh, the 45 and a half. I would go over as of today because, you know, we talked about it in the last episode with Evan Fournier and, you know, his belly aching about, you know, not playing and how they've utilized him. You know, when he went out of the rotation and Knicks changed their entire lineup uh, after December 4th, for the rest of the season, they went 37 to 22. That's a 51 win pace. Their offensive rating during that time was third in the league. Like they, they were an entirely different team from the time they benched Evan Fournier and Rose and, and sort of grinds into the lineup and McBride in the rotation to what they were before that. So I look at the Knicks this season, I see a lot of teams with a lot of turnover, um, maybe not so much Milwaukee and, and, and Boston per se, though Boston did at Porzingis, they got rid of Marcus Smart, that is a, a big move there. But a lot of these other teams, a lot of turnover, the Hawks just dumped uh, John Collins and sent him away. Like the Knicks are one of the teams coming into the season that don't have a lot of major changes. They lost one guy in Obi Toppin, added Dante DiVincenzo, but otherwise that's it. Starting lineups intact, most of the rotations intact. I would expect the Knicks to come in next season and get off to a really hot start. I think they'll come off really strong. They'll take advantage of some of these teams that are trying to get to know each other. And the Knicks may kind of get themselves in a position where they are one of the top three or two or three teams in the East to start the season just because they're the familiarity. And they'll probably come down off of a really, really high number. But could they touch 50 wins? Like, I think that that's definitely on the table. Yeah, you make a really good point in terms of continuity. Um, NBA.com had a breakdown of um, largest percentage of returning rotation players. The Knicks actually lead the NBA. There you go. The players that log uh, significant minutes, I think it was more than 10 minutes or more than 12 minutes, um, returning on their roster this season. Obviously, the, the exchanging DiVincenzo for Obi Toppin is really the only change to the Knicks rotation. Uh, as of right now, you know, obviously, we're still right. you know, 75 days away, 75 days away from training camp, actually, yesterday, as of yesterday. So um, plenty of time for that to change. But safe to assume that will be, will be the case. So that's uh, uh, definitely a pro in the over column. I'll give you one con in the over column. Um, and this isn't Knicks specific. I think it's more of NBA in general. Last season, we had many teams that were trying to lose as many games as possible. Spurs, Rockets, Trailblazers over the second half of the season. Um, Pistons won 17 games. They were hoping to lose as many games. The Hornets were hoping to lose as many games as possible second half of the season once the uh, ball went down. Obviously, a lot of that had to do with Wembyana, Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, et cetera. There is no elite 
uh, once in a generation, uh, you know, draft pick uh, on the horizon. Yeah. There's also some pick protections with the Rockets. So they're trying to win as evidenced by their signing of Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks, et cetera. So I think that will be a change this season, um, uh, which is uncommon. You know, usually there's three or four teams, even in a bad draft year, you still want the number one overall pick. You right, know, yeah. Who's going to merge? You know, there's just, it gives you a lot of flexibility, a lot of options. Um, Pistons traded for veterans, Joe Harris, uh, yeah. Monte Morris. Uh, you know, we talked about what, this, what the Rockets did. The Spurs are going to have Wemby. Um, the Blazers, who knows what goes on there. Um, but assuming Dame is back and they just re-signed Jeremy Grant, um, you know, the Pacers got a lot better, uh, you know, this offseason. I, I think they'll be better. Um, you know, the, the, you know, we'll see what happens with the Heat and the and the Hawks. But, you know, remember, the Heat won 44 games last year in the regular season. Right. The team obviously, went to, yeah. you know, so winning 45 games is, is no easy feat. Um, so that that's one thing I'm going to try to keep in mind among the teams in the middle and at the top. Um, you know, whereas, you know, you, you may, okay, I love the, I love the Nuggets this year. You know, I think they're going to cruise through a championship. They may well do that, but they may win fewer regular season games than you right. think. Um, just because there's more night in night out competition, you know, basically, um, a game against the Pistons was a buy last year. A game against the Rockets was a buy, uh, for, for most teams, most of the season. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Yeah. I mean, you look at the teams in the NBA, some of the worst teams in the league. I mean, trying to find the teams that are still tanking. I mean, maybe the Hornets. I don't know. They just signed the ball. I mean, I think they want to win. Uh, yeah. the, the Blazers are probably tanking. Um, we know the Wizards are tanking. Right. But the list is short. Like, I don't I don't think the Spurs are tanking at this point. They already got their guy. Uh, the Jazz aren't tanking, um, though they probably should. The Dallas Mavericks aren't tanking anymore. Like there aren't these teams, you know. You look in the East, a lot there are a lot of bad teams out there. But Toronto lost their starting point guard, but hasn't traded anybody else. So it seems like they're still trying to win. Um, you mentioned Detroit and some of the veterans they've signed. They've signed. They got Kate Cunningham coming back. He's just been cleared fully for action. I saw him working out. He looks great. So yes. uh, the Pistons are, are hoping to to kind of make noise this year. Orlando is not tanking at this point. Like these teams that oh. were automatic W's, they're not. <laughs> they're gonna try to win this year. Now they yes. might not. It may not work. They may still end up being bottom five. Bad but, teams, yeah. And yeah. injuries going to cause them certain teams to tank. But even the Wizards, we assumed rightfully so. Everybody in the world assumed they're going to tank their brains out once they traded Bradley Beal. Their starting five is Tyus Jones, decent, you know, cost-controlled, right. relatively stable point guard. Jordan Poole, who's going to take a million shots. Corey Kispert, your Gonzaga guy. Kuzma, they signed to a $100 million Sign contract. Yeah. Middle is weak, you know, Gafford, Muscala, um, but they got uh, Denny Abia coming off the bench, Landry Shamit, uh, DeLon Wright, who's, who's a good backup. So they got good six, seven rotation players. That That's not a team that's uh, that's going to lay down at any point. So, yeah, this year is going to be a little bit different that there's no, like, just nights off. Yeah, I think the fact that you could look at, you come to the season and say the Knicks have the fourth or fifth best win total odds, depending on where you're looking at in, in, on your sports book. I mean, it's probably been a long time since that's been the case. I, I bet you it probably wasn't that high. Actually, I just don't remember it wasn't that high the year after they went went to the playoffs, lost to the Hawks. Uh, in, in that, yeah, I think they, I think the number back then I think it was around forty one. I think Cause I remember thinking they were going to smash that number. And of course, yes, they came yeah, nowhere, you're right. They came you're nowhere right. close. I, I, right. I, thought, I was like, oh, I was going to run to Vegas to hand them my slip personally. That's how. Yeah, yeah, that was I was with Kemba Walker yeah. and and Evan yes. Fournier being signed to the team. That was before kind of the uh, New York online betting, and every Nick fan 
but every Nick fan would say the same thing. You know, Vegas is respecting us. I think ESPN yeah. had him like at 37 or something. And Nick fans yeah. were furious. Um, yeah, that's a good point. That's right. They didn't think they yeah. did not get that number the following season. Yeah, yeah they were kind of close. So it's uh, so you never know how these things go. I think sometimes I think when over on the win totals are so fun to do in yes. all sports. Yes. So uh, the Knicks, uh, the Knicks being in a position where you know again fourth best best odds in the East in terms of wins, got you got to like where you are at this point. So uh, let, let's wrap the show here. We're observing another week in Knicks history, and I'm very fascinated to have this conversation because it's one that I love talking about in terms of Knicks history. So uh, this was a controversial time. Uh, it was July 17th, 2020, 2012, that the Knicks confirmed they would not match. The Rockets offer sheet for point guard Jeremy Lin, meaning that Jeremy Lin would be signing with the Rockets. Now, it was initially reported as a four-year, $28 million deal. But we then learned that the Rockets had actually signed Lin to a poison pill deal for over three years that would have had Jeremy Lin essentially making $15 million in the final year of the deal. So they backloaded the deal in hopes of uh, making the Knicks balk at signing him to the offer sheet the uh the luxury uh, implication for the Knicks would have been massive had they signed Jeremy Lin and kept him by that final year of that contract it would have been 30 more million dollars Knicks would have had to spend in luxury tax uh payments Dolan apparently was very furious about the fact that this was added to the contract he thought Jeremy Lin was trying to pull a fast one over the Knicks to not get them to resign and the Knicks elected eventually to not resign Jeremy Lin despite him really kind of taking over the basketball world earlier that season with Lynn Sanity. So Lynn left for Houston. He never really recaptured the magic of Lynn Sanity. He averaged uh, 13 points per game in two seasons in Houston before being traded to the Lakers. And he made multiple stops uh, in LA, Charlotte, Brooklyn, Atlanta, and Toronto. Injuries also played his career. He had some knee problems as well. Overall, decent career, averaged about 11, 12 points a game for his career, but never again. Uh, that stardom that he kind of found overnight while playing for the Knicks under Mike D'Antoni. So Tommy, looking back on it, do you think the Knicks made the right decision not matching the poison pill Lynn contract 11 years later? Yeah, I don't think they should have let it get to that point. Um, I think it was the first mistake. I think they, I think they should have locked them up for that. Um, and we've given Carmelo Anthony a lot of credit on this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. But he deserves some blame here for the way he handled the whole insanity mess, the, you know, the yes. situation when insanity came back and played well in Melo's absence. Um, so there was definitely some tension there um, that uh, I think obviously that played a, a part in Dolan's reluctance and kind of the Knicks coming up with excuses not to match the contract. At the time, yeah. I thought they should have. Um, in retrospect, I thought they should have. It turned out it didn't really hurt them. Um, you know, we did average uh, 13.4 points, 6.1 assists that following season in Houston. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, wasn't a, a bona fide star. Uh, you know, wasn't the, the guy that, that some pe- Nick fans feared he might become. Um, but I thought the Knicks owed him an opportunity to either win the starting point guard spot um, to kind of re reignite the fan base. Uh, I think there was a lot of fans that uh, didn't have a lot to cheer for from that really dark. I mean, there's been some dark periods, but that dark, dark period from like 2004, five ish, um, right after the, the Stefan Marbury um, experiment flopped yeah. till you know, the, the 54 win season, you know, nine, eight, nine years later, um, there was very little to be excited about. And, and insanity was kind of the only thing Nick fans could hang their hats on 
Um, so I thought they owed that to him and the fan base to, to, to at least give it a shot. Um, it wasn't going to break the books. If the worst case scenario was a luxury tax, which really would only impact James Dolan. Remember, at the CBA at the time, there's no other implications, no loss of right. Credit, yeah, no, this was no yeah. second apron era. <laughs> Correct. Exactly. This was strictly a James Dolan pocketbook issue. Um, I, I would have preferred the team resigning. Yeah, I mean, you know, every sports fan, I feel like, or every observer in basketball or any sport, you know, they have their thing they die on. They have their hills they die on. Uh, this is the hill I die on consistently when it comes to Nick history. I think the Knicks made a massive mistake still in yeah. not resigning Jeremy Lin. And I actually think that Jeremy Lin, I think, would have become the Knicks starting point guard of the future at that point in time had he stayed with the Knicks. Now, does he deserve blame for it? Because at the end of the day, he didn't have to sign an offer sheet. I think he did a podcast saying he actually told his agent, to tell, hey, Houston, can they offer less? Because I want to go back to the Knicks. Right. Of course, that wasn't going to be on the table. So um, so uh, maybe he deserves blame. Maybe he should have handled that better. Maybe he should have um, came to the Knicks first. No, the Knicks, from what I remember, the Knicks said, hey, go out there and go get an offer, and we'll probably match whatever you get because we can't imagine getting something crazy. Sure enough, he got something that they deemed to be crazy. And remember, as you mentioned, Carmelo Anthony and the praise he's gotten, and I, I think we've been very kind to him. I agree. I thought he handled this terribly. If you remember, he was over with the in, in the Olympics training uh, with Team USA, and he was asked about it, and he said, you know, yeah, Herb Houston gave him that ridiculous contract. And that quote kind of resonated for those seven days or however long it was. Because remember, it was a much longer time period for, um, for offer sheet. That quote resonated for seven days, essentially. With Melo's first reaction to Lynn's offer sheet was it was a ridiculous contract. And there's been plenty of talk. And, you know, we've never heard Melo's side of it and probably never will. Melo's kind of right. a private guy. I would love to hear him talk about yeah. like what he thought about Linsanity because I've heard Tyson Chandler say he wasn't too happy with Linsanity. I've heard Mon Shumpert, I believe, go on podcasts and say he wasn't too happy about Linsanity. So I don't know anybody who has come to bat saying Melo was a great teammate and a great support system for Jeremy Lynn during that time. Now, maybe he can come on and defend himself and, and give his side of the story, uh, but that's what we've heard from everybody. So uh, I agree. If you're talking about Melo as a leader, as a great Nick, this was one of his darkest moments. But I think it was unfortunate. I think Lynn, if he would have stayed in New York, I know they had fired D'Antoni at that point in time, but you still had Mike Woodson, who was still running a lot of Mike D'Antoni's system. And I think you would combine him with Melo coming in that next season, putting together maybe his best season as a pro. I think the Knicks would have been really good. Now, I don't know if they would have still signed Jason Kidd. I don't know if Raymond Felton would have been there. The team might have been a little different. But I think instead of that team being a one-year flash in the pan, yeah. winning 54 games in a two-seed, I think they would have been a perennial playoff team for another three years at least and would have gave themselves more bites at the apple as opposed to putting together an older a veteran team that kind of only had one crack at it. So I, I still to this day feel like I know Link got hurt too, but I still feel to this day they would have figured out the injuries, they would have figured out everything. Everything was so perfect in New York that the fact that they couldn't hold on to him was a, a massive mistake. Yeah, and you know the the Knicks starting point guard 2013 was Prigioni, the uh, Nick on opening night. The Knicks starting point guard on opening night 2014 Shane Larkin. Right, Jose Jose Calderon the next year. So we've as even we the know, diminished version of Jeremy Lin that we saw. In these other stops would have been a better option than yeah. Larkin and Prigioni and Moutier and all these other guys we've seen over yeah. the last few years. And Lynn, obviously, you know, handling the New York scenario is, is, is right. part of the gig here. And he proved, you know, 
arguably more than certainly any other athlete in a short period of time, you know, just exploding on the national scene um, that, that he could handle what came along with it. Um, so I agree with you. It's just a shame that he never got an opportunity for both the, the Knicks himself, the fans. I'm sure if everyone kind of could do it all over again, they, they you know, most would have handled it differently. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Knicks, you know, made the mistake, I think, in thinking that, okay, Jeremy Lin is not going to get a great offer from anybody. And they put him out there. And, and you know, and if you want to know about how Daryl Morey moves in any potential future in terms yeah. of – uh, Nick Sixers deals. This is this is why I put this in this episode today. Also, this is a good thing to remember. You know, he didn't remember the deal that he signed with the Hawks. The Rockets didn't include this fifteen million at the end of the year. He they they got to separate that into nine million over two years, essentially making it a four year deal for the Rockets. For the Knicks, it would have been three years with fifteen million in the CBA, which is crazy. I don't know if that's in the, even in the CBA anymore. I haven't seen a deal like that since. But like. That is how Daryl Morey moves. He is as cutthroat as it gets. He comes for the jugular. So if the Knicks are going to get into a negotiation with Daryl Morey, just remember that this is what, how it's going to be. It doesn't matter how much Joel Embiid wants to be a Nick or how much he loves Leon Rose. You're dealing with a shark. And the last time the Knicks win those shark waters, I don't want to say they got bit by Danny Ainge because it might have been might have been good that they didn't make that trade. But at right. the very least, they didn't end up with the result that they hoped for. So it's just something that I think to be mindful of. But shout out to Jeremy Lin. I know he's been playing overseas in China. I don't know if he retired. I, I feel like I remember him maybe saying he retired, or I don't, I'm not sure about that. I don't want to put that on him. But uh, but shout out to him. One of the greatest moments we've had over the last 20 years in Knicks history was uh, the Lin Sanity uh, era we saw in, in that uh, January, February run he had. So um, great looking back on, on what was that time, at the time, a very heated moment in Knicks history. Yeah. But that's going to do it for this edition of orange and blue bloods thank you guys again so much for checking us out of course this is a podcast you can get wherever you get your podcasts including the free odyssey app make sure you hit the auto download feature on your streaming service get these episodes every time we drop we'll have two more episodes next week want to announce here uh next week we're expected to record on tuesday we should have SMY's ian bagley as a guest on our show next week so that should be super exciting so Shout out to Ian Bagley. He'll be with us. We'll ask him all the questions you guys want to hear. If you want to send us over questions, feel free to tweet at me, EJ underscore Stewart, tweet at Tommy. Um, and But that should be really exciting. So I'm going to make sure I get that out the way as well. And of course, you can catch uh, the full podcast, these episodes on YouTube on the WFBN channel. So Tommy, let the people know they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter. And again, you can find me, EJ underscore Stewart on Twitter. Action EJ on Instagram and TikTok. Again, thank you guys. Uh, so much for checking us out. For Tommy, I'm EJ. Take these guys. Peace.